Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 80. This week we talk about everything Gen Con. All the new releases, all the events, all the activities, here on episode 80. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Daniel. Daniel's back! Yay! Yay. <laughs> I, I haven't played games in like a month, but I'm still here to sit quietly and nod approvingly at the things you guys say. You know, that's, that's most of my contribution anyway. <laughs> you'll have to sit in the podcast corner until we're done we're so glad to have you back welcome back to the table man that's great yeah it's good to get back uh, i mean it'd be better to play some games too but you know can't be greedy gotta just take what i can get if only there was a place where you could play games for days and days and days but chris what sort of place would that be i don't know Habanabi. no Gen Con! Yeah! That's what they would call it. That makes sense, right? Yeah, that sounds... That sounds... That sounds all right. All right, because like Habanabi is still available if you guys... No? Uh, I th- think Gen Con's more... More uh, on point. Habanabi will still have to stay a dream in my journal with my unicorns and other stuff, but... Okay. All right, Gen Con 2015... Everyone from the Board Gamers Anonymous crew will be there. We definitely want to meet with you. We want to game with you. It's going to be a great time. And if you're not going to be at Gen Con, then we want to bring you the up-to-date news, activities, games, releases, everything that you could possibly want to know about Gen Con. You can follow along with us and we'll inform you on the brand new releases. As you know, we release every week. So... The moment that Gen Con starts to wrap up, you'll have a brand new episode from us, and we'll be talking more about Gen Con. And then the week after that, we're going to give you a full report about everything Gen Con. Anthony, give us an idea about what we're going to be doing. All right, guys. So we have a very, for us at least, very busy schedule. I don't know how it compares to some of the other podcasts out there, but for us, I'm I'm already like, my head's already spinning a little But we are going to be all over the place at Gen Con and in many places that you'll be able to find us, which is kind of our goal. We want to make it possible for you guys to come out and say hi. So Thursday, first day of the show, we're going to be at the Dice Tower booth. That's booth number 3030. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. So if you're there on Thursday, make sure you swing by and say hi. We will be there for about an hour. So you can swing by there and catch us there. On Friday, uh, we're also going to be part of the Dice Tower live show. Now that is a ticketed event that is by far sold out at this point. So if you have tickets, you will see us at this Dice Tower Live show. If you do not have tickets, you can hear us on the Dice Tower Live show uh, when they publish it the following weeks. Otherwise, you can hang outside that show, and we will be out sometime around 8 or 9 o'clock. So yeah, please we'll don't mob us. You know, that a lot of people want our autograph and maybe, you know, a piece of our T-shirt. But really, man, just, just wait your turn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't let me don't let me make it sound like uh, we're actually running said show. We're on it for maybe three to five minutes, but we will be there. You will hear us. On we're definitely going to be the star attraction there. That's why people are Clearly. coming out. <laughs> It'll be an encore. 
They'll have to chase us out of there. That's right. It'd be crazy. People have mobbed the stage. But actually, we absolutely positively need you to come out if you're at Gen Con. We want to have a really great showing at the Dice Tower Network booth. We are the brand new member of the family and it would be great if you could come out and say hello and and we will have giveaways there so please come down and come down early because the giveaways are in limited number and then as anthony was saying the live show we really want to have a good show in there be loud just like we are because you know we're new yorkers and that's what we do or new yorkers by extension so please show up to show and uh, let people know that you're here yeah for sure so that's where we're going to be there and then the other only major event otherwise that i know we're going to be at is the uh, secret cabal meetup we'll be swinging by that nine o'clock saturday night at the alexander hotel pretty sure there's no tickets to that we certainly don't have tickets so <laughs> we just plan on swinging by uh, but we will be there with those guys otherwise we're just hanging out we're meeting with a few publishers we're hanging out playing games trying some new stuff so if you're there and want to hang out and play a game shoot me a message and we will certainly schedule something with you. Yes, we'll be keeping an eye on our Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our Guild on Board Game Geeks. So throughout the entire convention, if you happen to have some time free or if you want to get together, shoot us a message in one of those platforms. And as always, Daniel will volunteer Anthony to keep an eye on that and respond back to you. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> You're welcome. Speaking of Gen Con and speaking of, you know, next week's episode, moving forward with the podcast, I know we have something pretty cool coming up. Uh, I'm not going to spill all the beans yet, but just make sure you tune in in August because we have a uh, number of contests coming up. It's part of a big Dice Tower Network event. All right, guys. Ready for some gaming? I brought my favorite games. Got a couple new ones. Hello. Is anybody here? Hello. Hey guys, uh, I have a, a couple games I want to talk about today. They take place in a s- sort of shared universe, um, and this shared universe is uh, this kind of trippy dream world, um, very cool artwork, and the games come from Shadi Torbay, and it is, uh, it's called the Oniverse, and for a long time there was a couple games, uh, starting with Onirim, and then there's Urbion. And just this last few months, they released Sylveon. And then there's another game slated to come out at Essen later this year, Castellion. So since this universe of solo games, and they're all designed to be solo games, though you can play them co-op with two people, have really started to expand in the last couple of years, I wanted to talk about it, talk about which one's my favorite, um, talk about kind of the different situations in which you might pull them out. And if you're trying to decide which one to buy, which one's going to be a good choice for you. Um, so let's start with Onirim. This is the first one that I played. It's the one that's been out probably the longest, or at least the most accessible. And it has a lot of expansions. Um, and very recently, Z-Man Games here in the U.S. released a second edition of this game that came with, I want to say, seven of those expansions in the box. Um, the production here is fantastic. And the production for the second edition of this, as well as Sylveon, the newest one, is about the same. You get the um, the 4x4 four four box, the nice felt inlay, you get the little token for the co-op game. Um, the the box itself kind of unfolds as you open it. The artwork is on everything. Even the rule books are beautiful. So it's, it really play, pays homage to the artwork of this game, which is what makes it so unique. Um, which I think is great because the first edition of Oni Rim, while it was great, came in that little tuck case um, and you'd see it like on the front desk of the game store. So it didn't really stand out as much. 
Now, the game itself, Oni Rim, is very simple. It's very, very simple. You have a single deck of cards, and you'll drop a hand every time, and you're basically just laying down these labyrinth cards um, one after another, and you have to get certain patterns of them so that you can unlock the doors. You're trying to get all eight doors in the labyrinth before you run out of cards in your deck. Um, as you go through, you're going to have um, nightmare cards come out that'll eat your cards, um, burn cards off of your deck. And as you discard, your deck obviously gets smaller. Um, it also gets harder because then you have fewer actual labyrinth cards you can play from your hand. So the game is super, super short. It takes maybe 10 or 15 minutes to play. Um, you will shuffle it a lot. So as, uh, as Jason, a uh, fellow listener and Oni Rim player, um, said to me in an email, you absolutely have to sleeve this game. Not necessarily the case for Sylveon, the other game we'll talk about, but you do need to sleeve Oni Rim if you're going to play it a lot. Um, the expansions do add a lot of different elements, a lot of different things you can do, and maybe we'll get into that on another segment uh, in the future. But for now, I just wanted to touch on the base game. Fantastic, not incredibly challenging. Um, the, the goal of the game is pretty evident pretty quickly. You only have to read maybe two or three pages of the rules to understand what you're supposed to do. But by nature of the game and the way the cards come up, it is something you have to think about, and you're not going to win every time. So it's a good challenge level there. Um, the second game, uh, Sylveon, which just came out here in 2015 in the U.S., is very different. Uh, it has a slightly different theme. You're not in this dream world fighting these nightmares. You are now in a forest fighting a fire. Um, and you're trying to protect the uh, the forest as well as the creatures of the forest from this encroaching for flame that's just growing as you draw new cards. The mechanics here are very familiar. If you've played any of the tower defense games on your iPad or on your computer, you're going to lay out this uh, 4 by 4 grid. And on the grid, you're going to have various different um, uh, cards on the outside. So you'll have kind of the, uh, the forest cards on the outside on the top left and bottom. And on the right side, you'll have the enemies broken up into equal card numbers. Um, and that's going to be how many rounds come out during the game. There are two ways to play this game. The, the introduction game, which is super quick and an easy way to get used to the game. And the rule book will tell you which cards go in that. And you don't have to do any thinking or deck building or anything. Uh, and that takes maybe 20 or 30 minutes. Then there's the advanced game, which I recommend you do immediately after finishing the basic game. Because the basic game is relatively simple and you will beat it in the first couple times you play it. And in the advanced game, you're actually building a deck. Um, you'll have many more cards to choose from, about 60 or so. And that deck will whittle down to a variable number of cards. And this is kind of the interesting part, because the deck building mechanic, um, you're going to be able to choose from one of four columns on the table at any point. But those columns may have between one and four cards in them, and they can go away. So you can't necessarily only draw the four columns because maybe the next turn it disappears based on you know the deck building mechanics the result is you might have anywhere between 20 and 40 cards in your hand by the time you're done deck building and um, just for reference that basic game i think it's 26 cards so that seems to be the range in which you're going to be working with these cards don't disappear necessarily um with a few exceptions so you don't have to worry as much about like the Oni Rim mechanic of the cards not being there anymore, but you still need to use them efficiently. And honestly, like if your deck's too big, um, just like a good CCG or LCG, if it's too big, it actually makes the game a little bit harder. So 
this game is uh, very much tower defense. You're going to be placing down fountains. You're going to be placing down um, various other cards that will protect uh, the forest from the fire as it grows. The fire itself will grow in a number of different ways. There are flame cards that come out, but then there's also other cards that will upgrade those, move them over faster, burn off cards that you have. The game can get very aggressive very quickly depending on how the cards come out. This is one, though, that I felt after several plays, and you do have to really think about it, um, it isn't quite as challenging as you would expect it to be at the higher levels. Uh, there are ways to tweak it. You can draw fewer cards each turn. Normally, you're going to draw three out of your own deck. You could draw two instead. That'll make it a little bit tougher. Um, the expansion makes it a little bit tougher in a couple of ways. You could also intentionally draw more cards into your deck when you build it. Um, that'll make sure that it's a little bit harder. But I think if you figure this game out, if you get the, the flow of it and the cards come out in the right order, there are different games you're going to have of it in which it's not quite as challenging. Whereas Oni Rim is very consistent. You're going to get the exact same experience every time. And it's like a good game of Solitaire. It's still fun, even though you're playing the same same way through every time. So it kind of reminds me of Tetris in that way, where it's the same mechanics every time, but the order in which they come out and the order in which you play them will determine you know, the end result. It's still fun, though. Um, both games are great. Onirim is a very quick, easy, simple, small profile game. Um, you really only need a tiny little space in front of you to play it. Uh, Sylveon requires a full table. Uh, you're laying out this big grid that ends up being about a 5 by 5 grid with all the cards, and then you have this, everything around it. I usually have to clear off my table completely to get this one out without it making a mess. You don't really need to sleeve it necessarily, because you're not shuffling through your card set heavily, but... It does uh, require more space and a lot more time. Uh, Oni Rim, you could play in 15 minutes. Uh, Sylveon, if you're going to do the deck building, you probably need 30 to 40 minutes. That's not to say I don't like Sylveon. I actually think this is a fine game. I had a lot of fun with it. If I'm looking for a little bit more robust of a uh, solo experience where I don't have to take out a ton of components uh, for a game like Nations or Lord of the Rings, this is a good game and I still want to play it. But I find myself going back to Onirim more and more, and I've certainly logged more plays of it at this point because it's so much quicker to play. And with all those expansions in the box, it is a, it's a strong purchase. Now, why am I comparing these? Both boxes are going to be right next to each other in the game store. They cost the exact same amount, and they have similar artwork. So if you're going to look for these and you have both in your hands like I did, I, this has actually literally happened to me, and you're looking at both games and wondering which of these games would be more fun, um, I would recommend starting with Onirim. If you like that game a lot, Sylveon might be for you, um, but vice versa will not necessarily be the case. All right? Um, stay tuned because I know Castellion is coming out in about three months. I think they're supposed to debut it at Essen. And this is a game I'm extremely excited for because it's a tile-laying game. Um, it's moving away from the uh, the card mechanics here. And it's a similar castle defense style game, but a lot more stuff going on. So I'm very excited about that one. Hoping to get my hands on it this year. But for now, check out Onirim. Fantastic game. Uh, the second edition, if you can find it, it recently came out has all seven expansions, so you get tons of replayability in there. Um, and there are first edition copies floating around as well, which are a little bit cheaper, too, so if you just want to give the game a go and see if you like it. All right? Uh, make sure, too, like, if there's a solo game out there that you want to hear about or that you're wondering about or maybe that you discovered, like a solo variant, I want to hear about it. Um, I have a lot of great discussions with you guys on Twitter and Board Game Geek and the website about solo gaming. So I'd love to hear more about your solo gaming experiences. Shoot me a message.
All right, that's it for solo games. And now, our Acquisition Disorders. Acquisition Disorders? That's crazy! Only needs the base game, nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion, see? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So now on to our Acquisition Disorders. Anthony, what do you have for us this week? All right, so there's a game that I came across when I was looking up uh, different things coming out at Gen Con and just places I wanted to swing by, games I wanted to check out, people I wanted to talk to. And I hadn't actually seen it until now, but it looked very interesting to me. It's called New York 1901, and uh, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, so apologies in advance if you're listening. Chenier La Salle? French is a tough one for me. But it's from Blue Orange Games, and so it does look a little bit on the simpler, medium-ish side. I think the age range is eight and up, so it's definitely the kind of game you play with your kids or at least my kids as they get older, but not so simple that it's strictly a kid's game. The theme of the game is that you're building modern New York City. So the turn of the 20th century, they're building skyscrapers. Everything's going up in like a year. And so as you play the game, you're going to have location cards and then use those to kind of put the building tiles on the board. And they're all like these Tetris-like shapes that you're trying to build out as you as you finish the uh, the buildings on the board. It doesn't look like this massive, huge tableau builder necessarily, although the board is pretty good sized. But it, I like the theme a lot. I always loved, A, I'm from New York or live in New York now, but uh, B, I always loved that theme of like early 20th century building up the city. I thought it was cool when they made the New York version of Alhambra, even though it was like a, a really cruddy reskin of the game. So it looks pretty cool. I'm definitely going to swing by the booth and check it out. I think they are going to have copies there. And just in terms of like the speed of play, I think it's 30 to 40 minutes and how open it is to different ages of people. I think it'll be a good fit for my family as long as it's what I think it is in terms of a tiling game. Always the, the tough part when you're looking at a game you haven't played yet. So interested in this one, hoping to get a chance to at least see it or demo it at the show. It seems to be in the Ticket to Ride weight class. And it really has a charming theme and the pieces look good and the layout's really beautiful and... Other than maybe being a little bit light, this is probably a really nice pickup, as, as you said, Anthony, for you know family and friends to kind of get them into the board gaming habit. Absolutely. Yeah, I love the little uh, New York worker meeples you can put on the board and how you can upgrade your buildings to different classes. And I don't know, just everything about it just made me kind of happy, even having not played <laughs> it. It's just like, oh, this is cool. Aww. And it has that kind of old-timey art, too, of Ticket to Ride. That's a good comparison. Yes. So I will be most interested to see how this one turns out and i know we have our gen con preview later but this is a specific acquisition disorder one that you know if it's available i would probably take a look at and pick up sure all right so for my acquisition disorder this week i have so the game that i'm looking forward to picking up is ray publica 2230 ad now this was originally released by queen games as a reprint from ryan canizia now if you know ryan canizia his games are a bit abstract, and even when they have theme, eh, it's a little bit iffy. But this version is made by Mage Company and will be a Kickstarter any day now. So the very end of July 2015, this game will come out. It will be available at Essen if you want to pick this game up. And basically the game is very simple, but it has, as I said, this new reskinning and this kind of futuristic alien kind of race for domination 
So the game itself is kind of a basic set collection game in which you're trying to pick up different types of races. Now, obviously, you have your humans, which are the Terrans, but you have a lot of other alien races. Each alien race is worth a certain number of points based upon the limited number that has available. So throughout the game, you're picking up cards, you're trying to play sets, and there are location cards that will give you bonus points. Now, what's different in this edition is it has the addition of planets. Now, once again, this is just a really abstract game, so there really isn't much going on here as far as when I say there's going to be planets. You're like, ooh, planets, what do they do? Well, basically, planets are kind of your individual bonus scoring. So if you look at the planet, you'll actually be able to see a number of different ways you'll score additional points when you put together those different sets. The artwork here is really top-notch and really has a nice kind of alien look to it. And I mean that because, you know, typically when you look at a sci-fi game and they say, oh, we got some aliens here, like, oh, cool, like, and it's basically Vulcans and Klingons and it's things you've seen a hundred times before in sci-fi. These aliens really do look alien. They really kind of remind me of like almost a cosmic encounter. Not so cutesy. This is more of a adult mature type of alien, something you would see you know, in a kind of classic sci-fi movie. But beyond that, this is a nice entry-level game to bring gamers into the habit. It's fun, it's simple, it's a set collection game, and it's worth checking out on Kickstarter, which will be any day now. (laughs) And now, at the table with BGA. So at our table, we like to talk about games that you should buy because they're definitely worth your money. Games that you should play, so in this case, they're definitely worth your time at the table, even if you're not going to pick them up personally. Games that you should dodge, and now these are the games that are probably not worth your time no matter who owns them, and then games that you should burn. Games that just are not good for our hobby and should be avoided at all costs. With that said, Anthony, why don't you start off with the first game that you got to the table, or maybe even to the tablet? Indeed the tablet, yes. I, I already shared a little bit earlier some of the games I've gotten to the table of late, playing solo games at home, and just haven't gotten out to as many game nights as I would like, I guess saving up for Gen Con, post-Xcon. I guess I'm a convention gamer now. <laughs> um, but the one game I have been playing a lot of on my uh, tablet is Splendor. So the the app for this came out not too long ago, maybe two weeks ago, and I picked it up, and I forgot what it cost, maybe $4.99. It seems to be the sweet spot these days for those. And I've been playing it far more than I thought I would. I mean, it's not a game that wowed me at the table the, the way it has some other people. I like it. I like Splendor a lot, and I think it's a good game. It just wasn't as intellectually challenging, I guess, as... I'm usually in the mood for. That's not to say it's not hard or can't be hard, but anyways, this is not a review of Splendor the Game. We reviewed that like a year ago. The The app, however, is very well implemented. It did have some bugs when it first released. I think there were some scoring issues, and occasionally you'd move a card and it would do something funky or block out one of the gems, but uh, it's all cleaned up now, and while there is no online play, um, I don't really have a problem with that, at least not... Uh, until they can get it to live play, because the game would drag on for millennia if, if you played back and forth online. Um, definitely needs to be on a timer. The Against the AI, however, the AI is 
can be decently challenging depending on how you set it. I do win more than I lose, but that's, I mean, maybe I'm just really good at Splendor. I don't know. The games themselves, though, take like six, seven minutes. So it's this perfect, like, bite-sized popcorn-y game on the uh, iPad just as a filler. And I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot, a lot more than I thought I would. There are multiple different types of AI, so you can set them to balanced or aggressive or focusing on one type of gem or spreading it out or however you want there. As I play through it multiple times, I'm seeing different patterns and different ways to kind of attack the game based on what shows up in the first draw. So the game is a little bit deeper than I even remember it being just because I've played it so many times now on this on the app. And, of course, it has, you know, uh, pass and play because everything's open information in this game, so you can just put the tablet in the middle of the table and play with somebody. So uh, my wife and I have played it a couple times too. And it's it's awesome. I don't know. I, I didn't expect to enjoy it that much. I just picked it up on a lark. But I've greatly enjoyed this app. And it was a, pretty much the ideal implementation of this game on the uh, iPad. That said, I think Days of Wonder, um, I see their name uh, plastered here as, as one of the publishers on the, on the app. And I know they did the Ticket to Ride app, which is great. It's one of the best apps for a board game on the iPad. So I'm not surprised it looks so good. Um, I guess that's one of those benefits of Asmodee gobbling up all these companies. They pick the best people from each company to do the different things they're launching. So, yeah, if you like Splendor, check out the app. If you were underwhelmed by Splendor, um, it's worth giving it a shot. If you just wanted to try it out, it's a low-cost way to do so, and it takes like six minutes to play. Uh, For me, it's a buy. Well worth it. have enjoyed it much. And if if you know somebody who has it on their iPad, definitely try to play it. That sounds great. I know there was some question about the price being a little bit high. It was like six ninety nine or so. Yeah, I mean it's it does that iTunes store thing where someday it, it fluctuates. Uh I honestly don't remember what I paid for it. I feel like it was four ninety nine when I paid for it, but it might have been six ninety nine. Okay. It it did feel a bit high at the time for what the game is and considering you can buy the actual physical copy for thirty, thirty five dollars. But in hindsight I've played it enough that I don't mind now. It's definitely not Agricola is also six ninety nine, so it's not exactly equivalent, but <laughs> it uh has been played much more on my iPad than Agricola at this point. Okay. Sounds great. Now a game that I was able to get to the table is Belfort. Now I've been looking at this game for quite some time because I happen to be a fan of worker placement game and area control game and Belfort does both of these. Now Belfort is about using elves, dwarves, and gnomes as workers to build in this kind of mythical kind of city hall type of area. So you have your traditional medieval buildings, like you have the blacksmith, and you have certain like libraries and gardens and things like that. So it's not high fantasy. It's kind of ordinary type of medieval. just happens to have dwarves and elves and gnomes kind of hanging out there. So the game itself allows you to place four different types of building at the start, and these are pretty random, and the game comes with a number of them. So each game is going to be slightly different as far as what buildings come into play to start with. Now, you can use these buildings to gain certain resources or benefits right from the start, and there's also a secondary board where you can gain resources such as lumber and stone and gold and such, but those resources for some strange reason, can only be harvested by a certain race. So elves are the only ones that can cut lumber, and dwarves are the only ones that, I guess, can can carve away stone. So you needed to have 
enough of each race in order to get the materials that you need for the game. And you actually need one of each race in order to produce metal in this game. So those resources turn into buildings that you place in front of you like a tableau. And each of those buildings will have a special benefit that you can activate, typically with gnomes. Gnomes tend to be able to unlock buildings in the game and score you some additional points. But in addition to all that, once you build a building, you're able to place your markers in this city town hall area, which is cut up into five sections. So, for example, if you were going to play in a tavern, you could pick any one of those five sections. Now, throughout the game, and I believe there's about four different sections in the game, you'll be able to score points based upon area control. So, throughout the game, there is a constant fight to control certain areas, control a number of areas, and then you'll score points. Now, one of the challenges, you're going to get taxed for your success in the game. So if you're leading in points, you're going to get taxed more than someone who's behind in points because there are certain areas that determine certain tax rates. The game is interesting. It felt a little bit long. You, you really did feel like you were really waiting for your turn. And in particular, I think one of the big challenges with this game is it's not so much the selecting of the buildings, but because player order is so important in this game and because area control is so important in this game and because area control kind of flips with the inclusion or you know removal of one little person to an area, there is a tremendous amount of AP in this game. I did enjoy it. I'm glad I played it. But to be honest, I'm not really sure if I need to play the game again. Just because there are games that do this a lot better, and in particular I'm thinking about Dominaire, which allows you to play cards as part of a tableau and then control different areas. So I would say for Belfort, it's a hard one, but I'm probably going to say a dodge. You know, it could be a play, but it just takes so long and there's so much AP in the game, and Dominaire does the same thing and it does it better. So... If you have a chance to play Belfort, ask if Dominaire is available because I think that's really a better experience for this type of game. That's interesting because I've heard a lot of things about Belfort. And I guess the one thing that always stuck with me is every time I saw people playing it, it was that one table that would be playing the same game while I played three other games. <laughs> and I was like, nope, not doing that. Yeah, um, it's a shame. I mean, the the AP is immense in that game and it's just a lot of downtime when someone just tries to figure out which building I want to place to place one little cube and the game comes to a screeching halt. And there's yeah. not really much you can do because they, they're they really important decisions. Yeah. It's interesting, though. I mean, it looks like a well-constructed game. It's a shame that AP causes that much of an issue. Well, the production quality is really top-notch. The artwork is decent. Like I said, there's a little disconnect between the you know fantasy theme and the medieval theme, but that's not a problem. It's kind of interesting. The board looks nice. The graphic design is beautiful. I, I really don't have anything to, bad to say about it other than the fact that the way the game is constructed, it just kind of slows down to a chug the entire game. So a game that should take about an hour and a half took, takes three hours, and it's just... It's way too much of an investment, and like I said, Dominaire does it better and faster. All right.
And now, BGA's feature review. All right, so our feature review this week, we're going to talk about all the brand new Gen Con releases, what games are going to be coming out, what new games you should take a look at, and in particular, what games we're really interested in and what areas are we going to hit first. So for myself, Anthony, and Daniel, we picked out three games that for us are a must-hit, and we want to talk a little bit about those. We're obviously going to have a full Gen Con discussion after the convention's over and let you know what we saw and what were the big hits of the convention. But for now, the information we have as far as what's going to be released at Gen Con, you know, and that's somewhat iffy now at this point, but what we know and what we want are these games. Daniel, why don't you start us off? All right, Chris. Well, for me, I'm using my Gen Con tour, along with just an excuse to play every game I can get my hands on, as a sort of second look at a lot of games that I saw on Kickstarter and was just moments away from funding, but because I either didn't have enough money at the time or because I decided to fund something else, I missed out on. Uh, So now I'm going to go look at them more closely, so I guess... I can feel bad about my decision-making abilities or something. I don't know. There's something a little bit masochistic in it, but I want to see what I missed out on and see if my bets about how these games were going to turn out were right. Uh, So the first of these, and probably the most well-publicized, is Post-Human. And Post-Human is a post-apocalyptic sort of role-playing game in the same vein as I think Dead of Winter is probably the best an, uh, analog to it. Right? You have your character and you go across the world. Uh, there are some sort of semi-cooperative moments. There are also pure fall to the dark side and become the betrayer moments. So one interesting thing is that you can become less human as the game progresses and become a mutant or a monster. right? Uh, and Uh, If you choose to do that, you no longer really have the option to win by finding a safe house. But what you can do is stop everybody else from winning by (laughs) killing their players in the wasteland. Um, Now, this is all... I've never had a chance to play this game, and I've only looked at a few reviews. So I can't uh, say too much about exactly how that plays out. But the idea of having that option of saying sort of the Drew style nuclear option, right? Well, I'm not going to win. So I'm going <laughs> to become, I'm going to become the challenge in this game. Sure. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting possibility depending on how it's handled. And I always like the sort of post-apocalyptic aesthetic and think that with Mad Max and Fallout 4, both being one recently in my mind and one coming up not too long, that sort of nuclear wasteland full of savage monsters uh, idea is going to be very appealing to me, at least for a a good time now. And I think it's going to be a a pretty popular game at the show. And it looks like it's going to be something pretty innovative in the end. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I never heard anything like that before. I wonder if everyone's just going to go mutant right off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wonder how they handle that. So, I mean, in the little spiel, they say, you know, will you become a mutant, join the post-human, and deny the win from the rest of the humans? Can you win as a mutant or not? Even if the game says I can't, I'll still feel like I won if I was the meanest mutant, probably, right? I'll feel like I won if I went mutant and I killed everybody. <laughs> now, you okay. can tell me I didn't win and that I sacrificed something to do that. I'm not going to feel that way, though. Hmm. 
I think this is the discrimination that the X-Men have been talking about all along. They're not muties, man. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, yep. All right. Uh, yeah, so that's that's posthuman. That's the first on my list. Okay. The other one, and this one I remember that Chris and I, you, you, we have both talked about this game a bit, but it's Trickerion. Mm-hmm. The one, it's a game, a Euro-style competitive game in that sort of late 1800s magician world. But the catch being that these late 1800s sort of showboating magicians, right, actually may have some supernatural powers. There may be some supernatural elements involved, particularly in the Krakirian Stone, which is the thing you're trying to get a hold of throughout this game, right? That's the thing you're trying to win. Mm-hmm. And Winning that would allow your your magician to become an actual wizard, right? Truly magical. Uh, so what you end up doing in this game is you play as your illusionist and you assemble your little team of helpers, obtain little uh, blueprints for different tricks, set up different patterns, and try to set the best performances you can. Uh, and once you, uh, whoever sets up the best performances overall and whoever uh, ends up, uh, I guess, wooing the holder of the Kirkirian Stone, uh, ends up winning the game and being granted supernatural powers. It looks like a really interesting game. This is another one that I saw it on Kickstarter. I was right on the edge of backing it. I didn't, unfortunately. Chris, did you back this? I did. Oh, good. Because of magic. <laughs> Because of magic. That might be why I didn't back it. Okay. Uh, Because you had backed it so I could, you know, borrow yours and see if I liked it. And if I didn't, then I wouldn't waste any money. Uh, I thought Um, you didn't back it because of magic. Because of magic? Hey, I am all about magic. Uh, I really like the aesthetic of this game. Both the visual aesthetic and just the the theme, right? The time period is a very interesting one. Uh, And that sort of late 1800s showmanship is... Pretty interesting. It's, I mean, yeah, it looks beautiful. Style. The graphic design is outstanding. I'm a little concerned now looking back because it has so many pieces. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I, it just has so many little bits and pieces that, you know, when you're backing a Kickstarter, you're like, yeah, I want more pieces. Yeah. And now you're like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? And it, at least from the initial pictures, it doesn't look like it has an insert. So, magic is going to make it organized. Box of bits. <laughs> it's going to be a gigantic box of bits. And, you know, with so many different pieces, you don't want that to separate. So, by the magic of Plano, I'm going to somehow <laughs> figure out what to do with that. Then, then it's time to go listen to our last episode. Yeah, I think so. About your game box. Um <laughs> uh. Uh, well, so my last game that I'm really interested in seeing is one that I think is pretty might be pretty far off to the map right now. It's called Above and Below. City building and exploration role-playing game that's also got some elements of sort of like set collection sort of thing. So what you do is you are setting up a new village after your last one was destroyed. You are in charge of investing your villagers to gain certain skills or to use their effort in certain ways right just as you would be if you were in charge of an actual village so there's almost a little bit of worker placement element there but a storytelling element comes in when you go from above to below Uh, and you can go explore the caverns beneath the surface world uh, and you have the possibility of finding great treasures or knowledge or new people 
all waiting for you down below. But there's also great peril. Uh, and when you send your groups of villagers down to explore these caverns, uh, one of your friends is going to read to you what happens from a book of paragraphs. So I, what I'm thinking of here is something like uh, Betrayal of the House on the Hill, the sort of endgame scenarios, the haunts. There's something similar to that in that it takes a game state, how many people you have down there, what kinds of people they are, etc., and gives you a scenario and sees how you react, uh, and then various outcomes descend from there. This is a game that I think is most appealing to me because of the storytelling element, and I've recently moved from and I've recently moved from being focused primarily on D&D style classical role playing games to a broader set of narrative games uh, including things like Once Upon a Time, the Apocalypse World games which are more narratively driven role playing games, uh, Mice and Mystics and this seems to fit into that realm as well, right? I just backed Fall of Magic and that was sort of what I went with over above and below because they were kind of in the same vein uh, but it looks like it'll be a lot of fun yeah, this is one that uh, I've seen a couple times and, uh, you know, had my eye on when it was up on Kickstarter. I, I really like the aesthetic. It reminded me a bit of, like, a Miyazaki movie almost. Very ethereal. And then it's it's a Ryan Lockett game, and he's done good stuff. You know, every, almost everything he's released thus far, uh, him and Red Raven Games, has been great. So I'm interested to see how it plays out. I love the idea of mixing storytelling into a more complex uh deeply built game instead of just having a storytelling game which i think sometimes borders on party game territory which can exclude a lot of people plus it forces people like okay it's a deep game with a lot of cool stuff going on and there's storytelling but that's part of the game so you got to do it i like that part yeah well uh hopefully it strikes a good balance because there's always a fear there right that one of the two elements will overwhelm the other right that the storytelling will become too strong which is a charge that has been uh, laid at a couple of games. I'm trying to think of the one where you're uh, Winter Winter Tales. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, that one. Winter Tales is another one of those games. It's a very narrative game with some mechanics involved. It kind of got flack. At least I was seeing it get a lot of flack because it was so narrative and not quite mechanical enough. And on the other end, right, if it's too mechanical, then the narratives feel uh, inauthentic. So we'll have to see how well they do at balancing those two often opposing forces of mechanical rigor and narrative fun. Yeah, okay. for sure. I mean, it can be done. Games like Robinson Crusoe, strong mechanically, and they mix in a lot of good storytelling there. So it's fun. I like it. it makes it different every time. Sweet. All right, Anthony, what do you have for us? Okay, so the when I put together my list, the top two games on it were games that I think I've already talked about on my acquisition disorders, and then I do plan to track down and pick up, um, those being Imperial Settlers, the Atlantean expansion, and then uh, Discoveries, the, the Lewis and Clark dice game. So I mentioned those before. I won't go on and on about them again. There are other games out there <laughs> that I'm interested in. The first up on my list is the expansion that was just kickstarted for Evolution from North Star Games. That's the Flight expansion. The second edition of Evolution just came out, and then Flight is debuting at Gen Con, uh, so you'll be able to pick it up there. And it's just it's interesting to me and kind of cool just to see the amount of effort, time, and I guess just money that uh, North Star Games is putting into this game. The production values are, are very high for what the game is. They've already had two Kickstarters in about 13 months. They have the first expansion out already. They're push for it when it first came out. The marketing campaign was very, very heavy. Uh, that game was everywhere when it was first up. 
and the end result, the game that comes out at the end, is good. It's a good game, and it's got a lot going on for it. So I am interested to see what this new expansion does in terms of expanding those mechanics and bringing new ideas. And hopefully it's as balanced as the second edition of the full game is because I think you know some of our early reservations there were resolved in the end. Um, and hopefully that stays that way. Because the whole idea of a game like this is a lot of fun. And I would like for it to keep growing in a way that continues to be fun. So interested to try this one out. Uh, hopefully catch a demo or play a copy while I'm there. Sounds good. Yeah, I enjoyed the kind of updated graphical version of it, and the carnivores played a lot better, so it's it's a fun game. It's definitely worth the play, if not uh, picking it up. The next game on my list is one from Mayfair Games, and honestly, I don't know much about this one, and it's to me, it could go either way, but I'm interested by it for a couple reasons. A couple reasons. First, it's playing on the uh, first season of Star Trek, and this is Star Trek five-year mission. And it's secondly, it's a uh, looks to be a cooperative game, which is a bit different than a lot of the other Star Trek games that are out there. So most of the Star Trek games revolve around the ships to some degree, Tackwing and Fleet Captains. Even a lot of the deck-building games focus heavily on the ships and stuff. So it's either cards or ships. This one is a little bit different in um, kind of its execution of the theme. Uh, and I just like the old-school aesthetic it's not trying to capture all of Star Trek together. It's like, nope, this is the uh, original series. This is the five-year mission. Although it does have the option to play with the crew of the Next Generation uh, side of things. So it's not strictly that side. But, you know, aesthetically speaking, it definitely speaks to that old school uh, Star Trek aesthetic. All right, Anthony, which side are you picking? For what? For the Star Trek. Are you Next Gen or uh, original? Um, I'm a Next Gen guy. Okay. Yeah, I like the, that's the thing though. It's like I like the old school aesthetic. I like the '60s look and feel of the box. Yeah, um, and the way that the theme here kind of captures that. But I also am a uh, yeah, I'm a Picard guy. Okay, yeah, I'm a Cisco guy personally, but original series is is a a, a wondrous creation in in itself. And uh, yeah, that's the way I'm going to be going. Original. Uh, I'm a next gen guy, with the exception of Chekhov. And Spock. If I could bring them on board, that would be perfect. But you can't. (laughs) But I can't. And taking them all overall, it still has to be the next gen. Uh, You guys don't know what you're talking about, man. (laughs) (laughs) Why we got to start a nerd war? We're on the same side here. Cisco, Um, man. Cisco. Cisco. (laughs) All right. So that's Star Trek five-year mission. I know I kept saying it was like original series, and that's really mostly the aesthetic. um, You get the two options here. It's a dice-rolling game on top of all that. So I don't know how it's going to play. I don't know if it's going to be any good or if it's just a Space Cadets ripoff. But I like the idea behind it, and I, I would like to swing by and try it out. All right. And then the third game on my list is one that um, the uh, fellow uh, Dice Tower podcasters have been talking about a lot because so, I know it's been floating around out there. It was at Origins and a couple other conventions this summer, but I have not gotten to see it yet. And that's Flick em Up. This is a dexterity game, which is different for me. I'm not usually a fan of those. So um, the description of the game, though, and how people have been talking about it and what it can do, very, very interesting to me. I love the Western theme. I love the idea of a dexterity game that's built out this much. And the way everything is described, like flicking the bullets across the table, that's just awesome. Just a high production quality wooden dexterity game. I'm 
when I first heard that, I thought it maybe I haven't played it yet. Obviously, I thought it sounded a little overproduced. But everything I've seen of it in the photos and the demos, uh, it looks awesome. So I don't I don't think I mind the overproduction. Um, but I definitely want to give it a shot. Has anyone ever minded an overproduction? I don't know. Every now and then you get a game and you're just like, this could have been 20 bucks, and the box yeah. could have been this big. And I'm kind of annoyed I spent so much for it when it's this basic of a game. Sure. Um, and for whatever reason in my head, I'm like dexterity game goes into the same category in my brain as like party game. It's like, eh, throw away something. You just play real quick between other stuff. It's true. I don't need it to be this big elaborate production. This doesn't look like that. This is more, I think, in the realm of like uh, Rampage or Terror in Meeple City, as they call it now. It's like it's designed to be a bigger game, and the production's a little ramped up to kind of match the theme. But I like that. I think that's cool. There's definitely a place for those kinds of games. They're uh, it's more of an experience, you know. Yeah, it seems like maybe sometimes they're overcompensating for a lack of mechanics. Could be, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think they're trying to create more of a interactive. Uh, experience where you're actually getting drawn into it it's more it's a game in the sense of like the way you'd go outside and you know pretend to be different types of characters with your friends when you're like six years old was a game sure Um, that's that's how i think of dexterity games that's not a bad thing that's still a lot of fun sure and my son when he sees the the rampage box he's like i want to play with it and to him playing with it (laughs) is just throwing monsters across the floor but um so that fits within the rules (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean it's that's that's what the game is. So my wife loves that. <laughs> a board game where you throw the pieces, great. Why'd you bring that home? <laughs> uh, yeah, the flick 'em up looks really exciting. I I actually kind of like dexterity games in general, but I do agree that they tend to be a little too much on the lighter side, a little too insubstantial, and flick 'em up looks like it's gonna have a good mix of mechanics with that sort of dexterity so that overarching structure of a dexterity game which is eh, might give us some more substance yeah daniel we really need to introduce you to uh catacombs the new edition mm-hmm. i think if you like dexterity and you like classic D rpgs that really might be the game for you should check that oh, out have to give it a shot i'm looking it up right now okay yeah that is a game that should also be a Gen Con. And actually, I might have a meeting with the uh, designer of the game just to talk about kind of what went into revising and updating that one because it absolutely needed what they did to it. But I'm interested in why it happened after so many years and what kind of the impetus was there. Um, I'm very happy about it, but it's an interesting story. So one of the games that I'm looking forward to picking up at Gen Con 2015 has to be Broom Service. This is the Kenner Spiel Award winner and, you know, it's from Aaliyah Games, and there's been a little controversy about this game because it takes a vast majority of the gameplay from Witch's Brew. Now, if you ever played that game before, the Witch's Brew version is basically trying to make all these different potions by playing cards in a certain order, picking up certain materials that you need, and then playing them at the appropriate times. Now... That game was fun, but it was challenging because if you were the first player in that game, you kind of telegraphed your whole strategy for that round, and it was really easy to get piled on, and there was a little bit of a runaway leader type of issue there. Broom Service is supposed to correct that. Now, there's been very few reviews of, of about the game because it hasn't really reached U.S., distribution so some reviewers have gotten their hands on it and 
the game itself adds a board and adds a couple more mechanics that people have been liking quite a bit. So I don't personally have a copy of Witch's Brew. And, you know, if Broom Service has corrected some of those early issues and adds a couple more things to it, this might be something I'm willing to pick up as soon as I get this, you know, at the table. The next game that I'm really looking forward to playing, as Daniel said, is a Kickstarter that I wasn't able to get in on, and that's Spirits of the Rice Paddy. This is a Philip DuBerry game, and we talked to Philip not too long ago about one of his other games that he recently released. Now, this Kickstarter is a pure Euro through and through, and basically you are raising and harvesting rice in a rice paddy, and there is very slight but somewhat significant, you know, spiritual elements to the game that kind of affect your harvest. The game is on the lighter side for a Euro game, but it has a nice aesthetic to it. I'm really glad this is going to be at Gen Con because I really did want to play this. And, you know, maybe if the price is right, I'll pick this up. Uh, it's being published by Ape Games. And they usually do a really g- decent job as far as components are concerned. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And the final game that I want to talk about is a Kickstarter that I was able to back, Matanai. This is a Carl Kudacek release. And it's basically a smaller version of Glory to Rome. Now, if you ever play Glory to Rome or Innovation, it's all about playing cards in a number of different ways. So this one deck of cards will be pretty much the only component in the game. And what you're doing is deciding your strategy based upon on what side you play a card. So there hasn't been much information released about this game. There's been some basic information as far as their Kickstars are concerned. But this is an Asmati release, and I'm really looking forward to playing this. I'm looking forward to picking up my copy. I'm looking forward to hopefully sit at the table with the designer or someone from their company and learn about this game because, you know, the interesting thing about Glory to Rome is... It has such wide appeal, it has such high ratings, but it has such infrequent releases that games like this, this, even a smaller version of it, are so sought after. And I know I picked it up, our friend Chris, who's been on the podcast previously, he picked up, I think he picked up multiple copies of this game, including a two-player version of this game, because... You know, with this type of game and with this type of designer, you you don't always see this game come out very often. So you grab it while you can. And that is the games that we're looking forward to at Gen Con 2015. And if there are anything that's coming out that's on your radar that we haven't talked about or you think is going to be a huge release, please let us know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, hit us up. Uh, let us know what, what's, what you're looking for. Maybe it's a hidden gem that we didn't mention. Or just a really big game that you're wondering why we didn't mention. And we can tell you exactly why. (laughs) All the many reasons. So as we were saying, please let us know about anything that's coming out in Gen Con 2015 that you'd like us to check out and report on back to you on a later episode. How do you do that? Well, definitely, absolutely check us out on all of our social media outlets, including Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our website dedicated to board gaming, our guild on Board Game Geek, and of course our Patreon account. We would love if you can support us. 
In addition, check out our iTunes reviews, our Stitcher reviews, and if you can, please leave us one. The more reviews we get on these sites, the more we raise in the rankings, and the more people that find out about our great board gaming hobby. Until next week, this is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Daniel. And we'll save you a seat at the table at Gen Con 2015. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.